Welcome to this episode of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we play through Tomb Raider 2013. We have a Discord channel. Uh, if you go to leftbehindgame.club, you can join us and talk about all of the video games that we discuss on the show, as well as share your best video game deals. We talked a little bit about deals on the show and how Kevin missed out on a big deal for Tomb Raider 2013. I'm sorry, Kev. I know you spent uh, $36. $36. What? But uh, a few days after Kev purchased it for Xbox Live Gold members, it went on sale for $7. <laughs> what? <laughs> it went. <laughs> Are you serious? It's still on sale. Seven? You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. <laughs> Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCord, and today I have three friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him, Momertati. What's up, what's up, what's up? Second friend, he's sitting right next to me. He's not virtually next to me like Mo is. It's Michael Ruffalo. I'm excited to talk about a great game. And, and great game it is. Our special guest today, back for the second time on the Left Behind Game Club, is Kevin Rayburn. Hey, Kevin. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm very happy to have you back, especially after how well we all got along on the last episode we did together, the Warhammer Vermintide episode. Yes, yes, that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. It was, and if you want to listen to that, you can do that at leftbehindgame.club, but we're not talking about that game today, we're here to talk about Tomb Raider. Uh, it came out in 2013, originally 360 PS3 PC, uh, developed by Crystal Dynamics and published by Square Enix. This was a big game when it came out. It was a reimagining of a or revitalization of a classic franchise. It was the ninth game supposedly in the series when you take out portable games and when you take out like the the weird like top down not weird they're good the top down games. Um, the isometric three D perspective, yeah. The Temple of Osiris and yes. there was another one, yeah. I played Temple of Osiris. It was very good. Wait, there were nine games before, or this is the ninth game. There are a Kevin, lot of we're on the games. same page. That, There's nine. Wait. Can, can I ask a question? Here? Yes, you may. So I haven't seen this any is a of the podcast. You can't ask any questions. Okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to make a statement. I haven't seen any of the movies, and I haven't played any of the games. Did the games? Come How did out? you get on this podcast, Kevin? <laughs> I played. Well, I played this one. Okay. But uh, did the games come out before the movie? The movie come. Yes, out before- they did. Ah, yes. So on the original okay. PlayStation, uh, Laura Croft was one of the many PlayStation esque mascots. Um, it was Jacob. Help me out here. Was it the first game that really used the, the dual dual, pi- dual pistol type type? No, I don't think it was the first dual shot game. But you, it was the first game where there was a very sexy in her PlayStation One polygonal, uh, you know, graphics main character. Um, she was an archaeologist. She would go around different temples. Um, it was, it was, it was. I had great memories of playing it, although I know it doesn't really stand up today. Um, but it was very iconic. And there were a couple of sequels. Each each one, I think, had some type of supernatural-esque element. I remember there was one game where there were pyramids and there were dinosaurs. I think there was a third. Uh, and then... Like Tomb Raider 3. Exactly. Because there was an original trilogy, they were numbered. And then they did... 
was it basically there was a company and I don't know the name of the company Cir- Circle something like that Cir- yes okay we'll figure that out throughout the podcast <laughs> but they were in charge of the series um, Angel of Darkness came out on PS2 was not well received tanked. like tanked and uh, at the time it would have been IDOS that had the control of the of the franchise and they went hey we're gonna give this to Crystal Dynamics and they're gonna start on their own games I think they put out two games. Uh, and an, an anniversary, like a reimagining of the first game, and then they landed at Tomb Raider 2013, which is a reimagining of Lara Croft. Yeah, and uh, Tomb Raider 2013 was a breath of fresh air in a franchise that had become quite repetitive uh, and stale, with a lot of the same types of puzzles and the same aesthetic and the same... Um, I guess mechanics, the same type of world that it, it didn't really strike as realistic and, and grounded. And especially in, you know, the early 2010s, uh, late 2000s, there was that, that visceral movement where everything was described as visceral games that were, um, described as very gritty and real and graphic. Um, and so, yeah, this was, this was in that same vein. Not games developed by Visceral Games. No, no. <laughs> games the that rest were Visceral. In peace, visceral Games. R.I.P. We'll play Dead Space someday. Yeah. I will convince you to play Dead Space. Uh, before we get into the game, uh, I want to ask each one of you uh, your exposure to uh, this game and the franchise, as well as what system that you played this game on. So I'm going to start with Mo. Um, what's your exposure to Tomb Raider as a franchise, this game, and then what did you play this game on? Um, so I have just like kind of the beginning of this podcast and the, the concept of the podcast, this was a game I kind of left behind cause I never really played any of them, but I've always heard about the game. I've always heard it was a good game, especially 2013, the one that we were playing. Um, and I've always wanted to play, just never had the real chance to. And it kind of just, I, I might've been on sale or I might've seen it in my like steam library as one of those games you bought and you kind of never came across. So I knew nothing about it. I got the game, decided, hey, let's play it for the podcast, and played it then. So I know nothing about it, and I started playing it, loved it. Playing on Steam, by the way. It was very cheap for a long time because it, it was such a surprise for a lot of people at how good it was. It had a ton of acclaim when it came out. So I'm, I'm, I remember the publisher taking great advantage of that and trying to rebuild the franchise by getting as many people to play this game as they could, and they discounted it heavily. So with that, what's your exposure to the game and the franchise? So I I remember playing the original Tomb Raider games on the original PlayStation. Uh, I didn't play any during the PlayStation 2 generation because I think that's generally where the quality dipped off a bit. Um, And then I played this game uh, on the the Xbox 360. And then I just recently replayed it on the Xbox One, the definitive edition with the Tress effects. Hmm. And Kevin, what's your what's your exposure to this well, game, this franchise? Well, I, I kind of said it before. I hadn't played any of the games. I seen them a bit um, when they're like on games with gold or whatever, and then then the um, the game pass. But I played this on Xbox One. I bought it because because uh, of this podcast, and and uh, and that's all the exposure I had. I was going to watch the movie, and I watched the trailer, and then I thought this has nothing to do with or. It's, very, a, it's very, actually funny you bring that up. Very little to do with. Because the the new movie starring Alicia Vikander, which just came out, uh, is loosely based on this 2013 game. So I meant the... the um, Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Yes, exactly. I watched the trailer and I was like, 
This is very 2003. Is that when it came out? <laughs> the Angelina Jolie version is very much in the vein of the original Tomb Raider games. And the brand new reboot, Alicia, uh, Alicia Vikander film, is very much in the vein of this new trilogy, this reboot. Okay. And then for me, uh, so this game, like I said, came out on 360 PS3 PC in 2013. I played it when it came out on uh, on Xbox 360 in 2013. I'm a huge fan of the Uncharted games. Saw this and was like, ooh, I want to play this. Having zero exposure to the Tomb Raider franchise before this. I didn't have a PlayStation until I was like into my late teens. And am I imagining things or did Rihanna Pratchett write this game as well as some of the Uncharted games. Uh, Rihanna Pratchett uh, has extensive writing credits. Um, she wrote this game with uh, Susan O'Connor, I believe her name is. And uh, Rihanna has uh, credits for Heavenly Sword, Mirror's Edge, Overlord, and she's worked on other games. I believe Bioshock is one of the ones that she's worked on. I don't know which one in the franchise, but one of them. And then Susan O'Connor worked on Star Wars 1313, Far Cry 2, and Bioshock. So, like, there's a there's an extensive pedigree of, of writing for those two. And, I mean, you take her pre- pedigree a generation up, and her father, the classic uh, novelist, Terry Pratchett, wrote Discworld and some other great, great stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the pedigree is strong there. Mm-hmm. And I played the game on PlayStation 4, uh, the Definite Edition, which I want to go through all of the credits on this game because there are so many studios that work on this game. I want to go through all of them. I want to go through all of them. Just just who developed the game. Okay. Because there's a multiplayer in this. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you explored that. There is. That. I did not there look is. at it, though. I explored it a bit. It's fine. There's no one playing it. Um, that was done by IDOS <laughs> Montreal. Uh, Nixon did the next-gen console ports. Feral Interactive did the Mac and Linux ports, and then Square Visual Works did the CGI cutscenes. So all those developers. Let's just get straight into it. Um, what's the story of Tomb Raider 2013? So video games are not subtle. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if anyone ever tried to tell you that video games are subtle. But Go on. Video games are not subtle. And so you start out on uh, a ship in the middle of the seas, and the ship is called Endurance. Well, little on the nose there. Uh, and uh, you and your crew are trying to figure out, or you are a member of the crew, because you're young, Lara. You haven't yet formed yourself. This is the formative experience that you're about to embark on or be thrust into. And so you and the crew are trying to figure out where you can go to find uh, the right island where the Sun Queen, Himiko, was, uh, was worshipped or was, you know, lived. And Lara says, we should go to this island. And people decide to go there. And you go right into, I think, the Devil's Triangle yep. is what it's called. The mm-hmm. Devil's Triangle. It's off the coast of Japan. Exactly. And uh, as you approach, a massive storm strikes. <laughs> and it splits your ship in two. <laughs> the endurance is split. And everyone is washed ashore. Ah! <laughs> and thus begins the story of uh, the... What, what's the title of this game? Tomb Raider. Just Tomb Raider? That's Tomb it. Tomb Raider. Sorry, I, I have the rise of the Tomb Raider in my noggin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider, the recently announced. And you know what? Speaking of that, Mike, it is confusing. Because I, when I played this game, I didn't know it was called Tomb Raider 2013 or Rise of the Tomb Raider. I just I had it in my library and played it. So in case anyone's listening looking, to the podcast. And you were looking for walkthroughs, and it gave you the walkthrough for the PS1 version. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, this is, yo, you know what? On this podcast, this might be the first 
game where I did not use any assistance or anything like Yo, that, which is a big deal for me. Wow. Way to go. A round of applause, deal. Mo. Funny, big deal. Big funny deal. story about the names. It took me about four days to get the name Tomb Raider, the definitive, definitive, definitive edition, definitive edition, because yeah. I had a couple free games from Games with Gold and in Game Pass. And I was like, is it this one? He's like, no, Tomb Raider, definitive edition. I was like, well, this one says Tomb Raider. <laughs> He's like, no, you, it's this one right here. And I was like, okay. But you may have no had way. the 360 version because is the 360 version backwards compatible with Xbox BC? Yes, I think so. Wait, are you kidding? You had the Tomb Raider on the Xbox 360 version? I think I did. Oh, but I also, what? I bought it. I ended up buying yeah. it because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy what he told me to buy. I'm not going <laughs> to try to just get it for free. So I was just like, okay. You know, and I would also money. say that it probably isn't backwards compatible only because anytime they do business. an upgraded version, yeah, business. Business gets there. All right. All right. So, um, yeah. Yo, basic question. The definitive edition, what's the difference? Well, the main difference is the tress effects. You get to see all the hair and its majestic flowing full physics glory. Um, but in, in so, all honesty, the only real difference is it's a prettier version with some better physics. But in gotcha. a game that doesn't require any extensive use of physics, it's 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 just a pretty version. It's got an extra. It's on next gen consoles. Yeah, it's also okay. funny that you say the hair and the physics glory because Caitlin walked in while I was playing this and she was like, "Her hair would never be like that in this <laughs> storm," and I was like, "No, it's blowing around a bit." She's like, "Yeah, she gets no. bloodied up and covered with dirt, but her hair was fine." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my hair wouldn't look like that if I was jumping around and having to kill people, mm-hmm. cover myself with blood. blood. My hair would look like garbage. Yeah, so it's true. I mean, yeah. I want her conditioner. Yeah. Your, what I'm your hair looks amazing always. Oh, thanks. Uh, just You're just leading sweet. on after Mike's explaining the beautiful explanation of the actual game itself. One thing I learned earlier on was uh, this is essentially because this is essentially a story of Lara Croft becoming Lara Croft, right? Um, it was like very early on. She was very like scared of everything, was unsure of herself. And as soon as I played it, I was like, wasn't, isn't this supposed to be that explorer, that confident, like running, killing bad guys, things like that. And right early on, right after that crash of the endurance, all you see is Lara has no idea what she's doing. And this is like the beginning of Lara Croft. Mm-hmm. And you know, they have, it, it, again, it's tough to uh, to come into this game with that expectation that she's not already the badass that she is. Um, but they do a very good job reminding you that she's not the badass that you expect her to be or that the legends, you know, foretell. Um, and I, I think the the one thing that tipped it off very early to me was that, you know, that they're, they were smart about that was very early on you stumble across the shore after you make it through this horrendous cave with this primitive that's primitive islander that's trying to capture you and this is matthias right when you meet the bad guy matthias right away after you get through that you you meet up with sam i think is her name Mm -hmm. and there's matthias or matthias there and he tries to pass himself off i guess as someone who was on the ship Lara doesn't recognize them. And for me, that it was a lack of believability there. Yeah. And so you pass out and when you wake up, they're not there. And, you know, you go through the trials of the game and you meet up with uh, one of your compatriots. And he says, like, you, you, two, you girls shouldn't go off alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it really, for me, brought up the moment of like, oh, yeah, like in his mind, these are just two girls and Lara's not strong enough to be off on her own. Mm-hmm. 
and in anyone who's you know approaching this game with any experience in the Tomb Raider universe, you know that she is she's amazing. She she can do anything. Yeah, the one thing that I failed to remember. So I played this game before, back when it first came out. When I replayed it. I had forgotten how quickly they drop you in. It's like, hey, you're on a boat. With the violence? Hey, uh, no, not with the, they do drop you in quick with the violence, but I mean even quicker with the story. They're like, hey, you're on a boat. Yeah. Hey, you're, you're on this island. Hey, you're crashed. Boom. Like within three minutes, you're off the boat and like starting the game. And I just remembered there being more setup than that. Right. But the setup is kind of sprinkled in as you go. But I was mm-hmm. very, it was almost jarring how quickly you're like, oh, Lara's on an island. Oh, Lara doesn't know anything. So if, if you are coming at it with zero experience or zero knowledge that this mm-hmm. is a reboot, you might go, this isn't Laura Croft, right? right? Exactly it, what it's happened. It's also super effective, though, that they don't have that massive setup explaining everything that's happening because it allows you to empathize, I think, a little bit more with Laura as a character because you're kind of as fresh and don't know what's going on in the same ways that she's in this new experience and doesn't know what's going on. It, it, it breaks down some of that barrier of empathizing with the character and yeah. putting yourself in her shoes. And she learns really quickly because she learns the, the first golden rule of life. Don't talk to strangers. And don't leave your friends with strangers. <laughs> don't candy with strangers. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, don't leave your, your friends with like old, older men who look like they're up to something. Because as yeah. soon as I saw Matthias, I was like, don't trust Matthias. Yeah. He has so many like keys and metal pieces around yeah. his neck. Yeah. I'm like, don't trust a man who has spare junk around his yeah. neck. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, like you could tell that that uh, crutch that he had under one arm was, was definitely a fake. Um, also, I think everyone early on got the, got the sense that like you shouldn't trust Whitaker, I think was his name, the, the, the boss. Whitman? Yeah, James Whitman. Whitman. Whitman Dr. James it. Whitman. Yeah. Whitman. He was, uh, I think everyone knew right from the beginning, yeah, this guy is spineless. He's a little bit of a snake. You don't, don't trust this dude. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I didn't. No? I didn't until, oh, okay. until later on. And then you, you found out just a little piece and I was like, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. Like, that's why you haven't seen him all game. And he's always like in the back pocket of, of Matthias. For some, for some reason, he reminded me of that chicken robot from the Sonic cartoon. <laughs> just with the way he just the way he was talking. Sorry, this is not a cultural reference I share. <laughs> okay, maybe he's tails then. Anyway, let's just move past it. Um but yeah, he's a spineless jerk and he's he going really to is. he's going to cause you problems. And you have all the, these other crew members too. So you have Roth who's like the sweetest dude. Mm-hmm. Like I want I want Roth to be my grandpa mm-hmm. cuz I never had a grandpa. And Roth would be a great one. Um, Sam Nishimura, who their family like sponsored the expedition, Um, and then there's a bunch of like side characters that like were never developed. Reyes and Reyes and Alex and Jonah and Grimaldi, who just like throughout are just cannon fodder. Yeah, delicious cannon fodder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, do we want to give like a, a? Like fast track through the story. Yeah, she basically wakes up and she's hung upside down in a cave, mm-hmm. and you have to escape the cave. Mm-hmm. Once you get above the cave, you meet Matthias, and that's kind of when the game really starts going. Because mm-hmm. she gets a bow and arrow soon after that, right? Yeah. So you have to. They they have a really great moment where you have to fend for yourself, oh. and you have to provide for yourself, and you find the bow and arrow, you find some arrows, and you have to go hunt some deer in the forest, and the deer make you know some. R- for me, realistic sounds as if you're hunting and hurting them and killing yeah. them. Um, and then she doesn't seem pl- like pleased about having to do any of this. And you kind of see this being uh, an experience that like no one wants to have, 
what is necessary for her in the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. Um, yo, with the deer, did you guys, before I even get to that, what difficulty did you, did you guys play this game on? And did you ever need to actually kill deer animals to like regain health or anything? Was there an actual purpose of that besides you them showing you like the survival aspect of the game? They gave you XP. Um, there was no like specific like need to eat food, but if you gathered oranges or killed rabbits, rats, um, warthogs, they would give you HP if you skin them. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't Did give that... you like like skins or resources, but you would get XP from that. It's not yeah. far oh, oh XP, okay, because you said HP for a second. Sorry, not okay. HP, XP. Because I was going to say your HP just kind of yes. Did you... Did anyone actually go that? for that little XP boost by killing them at all? No, no, I Did... would. Didn't they give you salvage material or anything like that too? Yeah, so you could get an upgrade that would allow you when you skinned an animal, you would get salvage from that animal in addition to XP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't. I didn't really take advantage of that at all. And I found like the XP that I was getting from like discovering boxes and um, just playing the game in general. I I got enough to upgrade almost everything to like its max or like eighty percent of like the upgrades that are available for each weapon as you progressed. Um, it, it didn't seem like it. I was, I was when I saw it. I was excited. I was like, "Oh, another thing I can do to collect points or do something." But it didn't really. Mm-hmm. It was almost. It was like a left le, a, a feature that was put in that wasn't really going to help you progress in the game or even be part of the game itself. I think it was there for people who didn't have an intuitive sense for where the where they should be exploring. And oh, okay. people who are mainlining the mission, like, I know I need to go up this hill and I'm not going to be looking behind this little shrine gotcha. or house over here or inside to find the the heavy box that you have to pry open with your um, with your hatchet. Um, so, yeah, in all the areas that you would typically know to look if you were trained by playing other video games where you would find extra salvage and things like that. Um, people who are new to it, I think, would generally mainline and not know to explore. And uh, so I think that was it was there generally just to provide another avenue for people to not get roadblocked by not having enough salvage to upgrade enough things or experience points to, to get further. Mm-hmm. But because in this game, it is linear in this one. Uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, which is a great game, which I hope maybe we'll play sometime in the near future, um, adds a bit of an open world. This game is very linear. They kind of force you down a path, but within that path, there's verticality. There's uh, places for you to explore. Um, so like you said, it's, it's, it's interesting in that way that there are multiple ways you can go through a level to find XP, to find bonuses. Because there's tons of other stuff too. There's mm-hmm. like GPS caches you can get. And is it survivor vision that you use to see all of this stuff? Yeah, instincts. your survival instincts. Survival instincts, that's yes. it. And so I think on the Xbox you hit the left bumper because I was hitting it all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. Similar to like the uh, the Batman Arkham Asylum Arkham games, uh, I was always in detective vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always using that because why not have more information yeah. about the world? And so you'll see something glowing in the distance or glowing right next to you that you might not have normally noticed. And it's a crate with some salvage or XP, or it's an item that you can pick up and, you know, examine and find more information and learn more about the world. But the the GPS caches or whatever were super tiny. Even if you had the instincts on, you'd have to like walk by it to see, oh, oh, maybe there's something I can pick up down here. Yeah, definitely. And another thing about the instincts is when you were standing still, it was always on. As soon as you started moving, it disappeared. So in those uh, in those missions where you had to be stealthy and you were just sitting in a bush, 
which I I love to do. <laughs> Sit in a bush. Not okay. Whatever. Um, you, not Kev loves that. sitting in bushes. I like to camp. Too uh, much Fortnite. Yes. Too much <laughs> Fortnite. Uh, and then just pick off people. Like the vision, the instinct vision was like perfect for it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what was your favorite weapon? I know I'm getting a little ahead of us or ourselves here, but what was your favorite weapon in the game? I think there's only one right answer, and it is the bow Diesel and arrow. Rifle. What? It's what? Bow and arrow. What? I, I was going to say, I feel like every game has an overpowered shotgun, and this shotgun <laughs> was so overpowered. You would knock people into like walls. Okay. Yes, it's a very strong weapon, but what is the best weapon to play with? It's the, the assault one. rifle. It's, no, no, it's the bow and arrow, because you guys, can very guys, silently guys. kill everyone. And yeah. make it through the whole mission without anyone knowing that you were there. And that is the most satisfying feeling. As the chief gun weapon expert <laughs> on the Left Behind Game Club, I feel like I am the only authority when it comes to this. And Michael, you are right. That bow and arrow was goals. Every It was right? it was overpowered. I love that bow you and arrow. The shotgun, I, I felt, was not that powerful and... I don't know. I never really used it much besides having to clear those, like, wh- whenever you're sliding down something, you have to blow away some debris before it yeah. stabs you in your brain. That's the only time I pretty much used that, the, the shotgun. That is so true. It was so gory when you missed a turn sliding down something. It would just, like, you'd be skewered from, like, how completely. Wait, literally. Lara got I, impaled a lot in this game. Yeah, I think within oh, the it, first it was like five shocking minutes. too. It was like I was expecting some like some violence and all that, but that was the one time when I'm like, this is a little too much, and it caught me by surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the so when you die, the deaths are extremely gruesome. But even when you live, the things that this game puts Lara through is intense. In the very <laughs> first five minutes, you fall down a shaft and land on what looks like rebar, which seems to be like oh, a weird yeah. place to find oh. rebar, and it just clearly pierces it looks like you know where her her kidney might be yeah and she just gets up and is clearly in some amount of pain but you don't see her like hobbled or you know in distress throughout the rest of the game even though you know like this is all taking place within a very short period of you being impaled on multiple occasions by by this stuff and let me just also point out without being without breaking believability and plausible deniability a bunch sorry believability uh it's a very dirty environment, and I'm I'm sure infection would set in very quickly. But I'm going to set that all aside. Sepsis is a thing. Exactly, you're especially for- rusty rebar. You're forgetting that through that cave, the answer to all the questions was burn it, <laughs> and you'll get through it. So I feel like she just like just soldered bur- soldered yeah. her her wounds, cauterized it. That's it. That's it. Sorry, mm-hmm. soldered is with metal, whatever. <laughs> and so cauterized her wounds, and it was like, okay, I'm I'm good for the rest of the game. Yeah. I feel no pain. Yeah. Anytime I get hurt, Use I just heal players. up right away. At one point, she's surrounded by Matthias's men, and she's laying on the ground, and three large men begin to punch her in the face. She's laying on her back, and three men are just punching her in the face. Why is not a big girl? No, compared to these men, she's very small. She's small but mighty, but at the same time, like you could have a, a six foot four, three hundred pound man getting beat in the face by three men and like they wouldn't take it as well as Laura Laura did. Mm-hmm. Like Laura Guys, was a champ. Mm-hmm. She she survived two aircraft crashes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the punches in the face are nothing compared to, to surviving that. And I can't remember when that other fall was, but I think it was one of the when you're sliding around and she slams her ribs onto the branch, falls like another hundred feet, and then just walks yeah, up, dusts yep. herself off, and says, "Okay, let's keep moving." I kind of, 
I kind of like the believability of this game where they're like, yeah, so she went from zero to 450 kills within three days. <laughs> the but first kill also, was very traumatic. Also, yes. Yamatai and what was the, was it, am I mixing up names? No, Yamatai, Yamatai is the name of the island. Yamatai and the sun god. Himiko. 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 Himiko also exists and stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, I get it. They like. There's a little supernatural in this. Yeah, part. but they go with it, with yeah. everything. I mean, the supernatural is not more far-fetched than her killing 400-plus Russians on this island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, we talked about the first kill um, of the deer. Uh, that, to me, was one of the tent poles. But then there's the first kill of an of a man. And to me, it's like, if there are Victor. three tent poles, I think I wrote it down, it's like, kills a deer, kills a man, kills everyone. Kills a god. <laughs> kill, that kills a god. <laughs> Can, Spoilers. I don't want to sidetrack, but can we can we back up between deer and man? Yes. I believe there's a, a a a scene where she gets caught in like a bear trap or something, oh, and then yeah. these, these wolves come launching out at her, and you have to bow and arrow. That was so cool. It's a great moment. It was so cool. It, typically, you would make that a quick time event, but they didn't. In a game that has many quick time events, they just slow down time and they give you that badass feeling of. I, in slow motion, shot my bow and arrow and killed three wolves that were lunging at me. Mm-hmm. Because all you see in the bushes is, like, you see the wolf and they're, they're like, circling you. But, like, at once, like, you hear the ruffling of the, of the leaves. You see the shadows. And then all of a sudden, here come the wolves. <laughs> that was a good impression. Thank you. No, that was the, the one thing about this game in general is there was a lot of those, like, wow, this is cool moments. The biggest thing I think I mentioned in our Discord chat was... There were so many times when you do something simple as like climbing ladders or walking up a staircase and the camera angles that it would switch to while you're moving kind of went, made you go, wow, this is cool. This is like, it was such a simple thing showing you different perspective while you're walking around, but it gave Mm -hmm. so much more to you as a player. Definitely. Those camera angles were fantastic choices in the ways that they, you know, show the world to you. But I think it's also worth highlighting how well put together the world is. Mm-hmm. The world looks always visually interesting, and there's a lot of variance. There are some areas that are very flat, that have a lot of buildings. There are some areas that have a lot of verticality. Um, it, it, there's also multiple levels to each uh, each map in that, like, oh, you can cross here by balancing on this fallen log or you can climb up and drag yourself up uh, these different jumps. So yeah, I, I, the camera angles were fantastic, but I think a lot of that had to do with how well the levels were designed. Yeah. And each level had like its own sort of weather. Cause the weather was a huge part of this game because uh Himitai, no Yamatai, Himiko, Himiko was the yeah, Himitai, Himitai, shoot, Yamatai. I'm doing it. Yamatai. Himiko of Yamatai. There you go. Himiko of Yamatai was the sun goddess? The sun, the sun goddess. god. Goddess? Sun, sun queen. Sun, sun queen. queen. That's what it was. Yes. And so she controlled weather. And so like you'll just, it'll be sun, sunny and shining. And then you'll walk through a door and it's just snow or windy. And I think that they did a really good job with that as well. Yeah. One of the things so, that I had to do, I had a dad moment where um, she was wearing like, I th- I think I had the a same tank one. top and pants. And I'm like, Laura, it is really cold out right now. Can you please put on a jacket? So in the definitive edition, there's like eight costumes. So I found like 
I like, you know, without being weird, I, I sometimes <laughs> role play the character, right? So I'm like, my character's cold. She needs a jacket. So I found a jacket. I did the okay. exact same thing. The first time you opened the door and it snowed, there was a uh, campfire right behind you. I was just like, no, Laura, you, you can't just go around walking with short shorts. I go back. I put her in a vest. I kept the vest on the entire time. I was like, she's warm. Mm-hmm. No, you guys played with Barbies. No, no, no. Wait, so you you did the so same the costume cool the entire time? I played one costume the whole game, and it was the archer's costume same. because I only use the bow and arrow. And if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this right. So does she start in the archer's costume? <laughs> she doesn't. But I mean, okay. The so very who's first? We opportunity did one wardrobe get. change, just like you, Ruth. <laughs> Realism, <laughs> video games. Yeah. Mo, what were you gonna say? Sorry. Yeah. No. The one of the things, the funniest thing, you guys are like kind of like. She, you feel that she's cold. You feel that she's warm, and you're dressing her up. One of the things I found uh, with this game in general is like it. It made I felt like it made me believe the story in the person. Um, specifically, like as the the game was going on, uh, they kind of treated the whole Imiko and the goddess of the queen as something. It's there's no way it's real. There's no way the storm is being controlled by like a god or by like some kind of deity. This is a joke. There's no way. Move on. Move on. But by the end, it's like holy smokes, like, this is actually affecting them. This, this thing does exist. So I almost felt like I was in the game, and I was like, I was Laura Croft, if that kind of makes sense. Near the end, I was like, you know what? This goddess may actually exist. This may not be just, like, a, uh, a ghost chase, pun intended, to find a kind of the, to, to pretty much kill that final bad guy. There actually is a goddess, there, a supernatural being that we have to take down. At what and that point, didn't happen until the very end. At what point did you guys start to believe that it was, okay, it's not actually a myth or a legend. There's actually this uh, sun goddess. I think read? it was when Laura Croft and the crew started believing it. It was to the point when they were like, you know what? There actually is something affecting the, the world. And then finally seeing the sun goddess like appear and like was being, I guess, summoned. That's when I was like, okay, you know what? There's actually something here. For me, it was. Uh, if, did you uh, do a lot of reading of the like mm-hmm. the journal entries and the the papers? Because in that, there's a there's like a tonal shift as you go. Of like, at first, it's like, oh, Laura's inexperienced. Laura's crazy, you know. And then then they start to give you the lore of the island and the lore of the expedition. And then slowly but surely, they add in like the supernatural aspect to those journals. I thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. Jacob, what do you think? Did I read those? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> side note: You didn't actually have to read them; they read them to you. Yes, they did. So that was a little. That was a great point. A great a little part they put in this game. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I think the point that I started believing it is when you see the oni for the first time, the demon samurai. Oh yes. Uh, yeah, you're right. That's it. Because at that point, like, how how can you deny? These samurai that are running around. Yeah, you see a different type of people, not just yeah. all these Russian guys. You see the yeah. Sitting. In typical video game fashion, yeah. they near the end, mid to end of the game, they start adding in a new, more powerful type of bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, it's it's the Oni, these demon samurai who are there to protect. Also, mummies because they're like their faces are wrapped. Is oh, that yeah, kind of what yeah, happened? Yeah, something like that. Mummy, zombie, samurai. Sure. So wait, were those the same people that were in that cave all chained up like around where you, the natural gas explosions happen? There were these weird people who didn't have any weapons. They were just kind of white and almost faceless. Maybe that's what it was. I just took that as because there's the there's like Matthias's followers. I took that as like 
Matthias's followers continue to capture everyone that comes on the island, hoping that uh. one of them is the Sun Queen, so that they can supposedly get off the island, and they just capture anyone that gets stuck. Because what happens is anyone that comes in proximity of the drag- Dragon's Triangle basically gets struck down and on the island. So we've kind of jumped around a bit in the story. Well, let's try and find like a, a common thread through it. So we stop with wolves. That's kind of where we, where we spoke yes. last. Should we go to Lara's first kill? Yes. So uh, you're captured because... What is the name of the guy with no spine? Whitman. Whitman. So Whitman makes a chump move and has a weapon and is confronted with two people. And they tell him to drop the weapon. And he says, yeah, okay, that's a smart idea. And Lara's like, no, what are you doing, idiot? And so you're captured. And uh, you're captured by this group of mercenaries who are Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe the leader of the Russian mercenaries, his name is Victor. And so you see your friends and other people who are captured uh, start to be killed. And so you hide and try and escape. And it's the stealth mission. You make it through. You get to the very end. And you think you're free until uh, Victor shoots a, a flashlight into your hiding spot, sees you, forces you out. And... Uh, starts making advances on you uh and it's almost a situation of you know sexual assault and it's a quick time event and laura knocks him in the knocks him in the junk and then he comes back and uh there's a tussle and laura ends up uh taking the weapon and pounding the uh, the x button on the xbox very quickly to get the weapon up to his face and then you pull the trigger and it's her very first kill and it is hugely impactful, or at least I found it to be very impactful. Did you guys find that same thing? It was very visceral. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Especially because he doesn't die immediately. You hear him wheezing and twitching. And mm-hmm. gurgling too, right? Gurgling on the blood that's pouring out of his skull and into his throat. It uh, This game is very violent. <laughs> One thing uh, that, that I found, like you were saying you all connected with Laura... Anytime, Lara. sorry, I, I get that. Lara, 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 Lara. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sit uh, in a bush, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first kill was like intense and crazy. But then anytime you walked up to a mission and you saw like ammo crates, I instantly got anxious. I was like, oh, Laura, you didn't, you didn't kill anyone before this. And now you're going to kill like. 50, 60 more people within the next 10 minutes. Like, I felt it in my stomach. I'm like, ah, I you wish this was just was like a puzzle mission. <laughs> Can't this be a puzzle you mission? You just wanted to step on things so that your weight would trigger another thing that was falling. Yeah. And then set something else on fire so that you'd be able to get these crates down the river. Exactly. And not have to just murder everyone in your yes. sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, the, the progression was pretty slow because at first you only had the bow and arrow, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a very simple, like, makeshift bow. And then you got a pistol, and then you got an assault rifle, and then they started upgrading your weapons. And to me, the, the kills were slower, the men weren't armored. Like, the, the progression of upgrades, of weapons you got, of the men that you were facing, the quantities of men, like, there was obviously a lot of thought that was put into, like, uh, let's write the evolution of Laura, but let's also deliver on her evolution through gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do a very good job making you making you feel like you go from very weak and not sure what's happening into the world to being, I am the master of my ship. There is no force that will get in my way that I cannot overcome Mm -hmm. and conquer. 
And Lara does exactly that. Yeah. She kills everyone. She kills everything. Mm-hmm. And if you played it right with a bow and arrow. <laughs> the bow and arrow is the only thing you get enough ammo of. <laughs> I have to agree with that. Yeah. And so you're forced to use it more. And maybe I'm just terrible at shooting because I am terrible at shooting. <laughs> um, what a maybe. It, it, <laughs> yes. Okay. So I am terrible at shooting. When you're in like stealth mode and you just have a bow and arrow, perfect, fine. But when everyone's shooting at you, if you don't bring a bow and arrow to a gunfight. I mean, when you have slow-mo time, you do. Did oh, I miss wait. something? What? So if if you use the bow and arrow, you can you can get perks and upgrades that slow down time when you pull your bow and arrow out. Much what? much later, right? I don't think it's much later. You got to be kidding. Most me. of the time I, that I was pulling the bow and I arrow, things slowed down. I didn't well, get that oh, for no. at all. Maybe the it happened. Upgrade. But like I was I, I just thought they were just missing shots. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, did you nope. notice that there was a slowdown when you pulled the bow and arrow yeah, out? I, I feel like I might have, but the, I feel like the only upgrade that really mattered with that bow and arrow is you guys are probably thinking of it, the fire arrow. That's when things got real. Good. One shot on anyone, light yeah. them up. Light them up, no and pun intended. they scream and, and run around. It was, it was hilarious. But see, I got very good with headshots with the bow. Like, look, I like the assault rifle more just because officially, like... The, the bow, just the the assault rifle felt really good, especially as you upgraded. Like the sound changed, the feel of it changed. You could add a silencer, so through through is what mm-hmm, it ended up being. Mm-hmm. But the bow and arrow, I got pretty good with it. Right? And there was a headshot reticle that you could yes. get, and like yep. lining up that headshot reticle and just like pulling off two headshots real fast. Mm. Feels so good. <laughs> feels so good. And then it it also feels so good when like you know there are four or five enemies in front of you. And they haven't been alerted to your existence yet, or they might know you're in the area, but they don't know where you are. And you're just able to pick them off one by one without them seeing where you're at. And then you just clean out an area without having to get into a massive gunfight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. love that. In the instincts, they turn from red to white. Right. Uh, to make sure to show you that no one else was around there yeah. to see. That's when I use the bow. See, I'm just, I'm just the majority of the, the majority of the kills were when, 50 people were shooting at one spot <laughs> and one guy was throwing a napalm bomb and you had to move. Fair. Fair. I'm, I'm I mean, pulling out my bow and arrow. I'm not then. saying I never used any other weapon, mm-hmm. but when I could and in most situations, I used a bow and arrow. Yeah. I, I found that using the bow and arrow made combat more like a puzzle than a lot of the formal puzzle sequences where it's like, okay, well, I know I have to set this on fire and that's going to fall down and I need to stand over here so that way my weight shifts that thing and then I need to climb up here yeah. and jump over that. Those environmental puzzles are fun and interesting, but sometimes they're a little too obvious where you know the order of events is clear. It's just a matter of executing it. Um, the combat puzzles, though, of using what weapons and in what order to kill people, I found to be you know extra interesting and fun. Yeah, and and when so I love the Uncharted games, and a lot of people will say like, "Oh, Tomb Raider just copied Uncharted." It's a thing. That to me is the thing that I didn't remember as well. Is like Uncharted, the combat isn't really why you come to Uncharted. It's the the spectacle, the story, the situations that you get into. Lara Croft in Tomb Raider, I had forgotten how much more varied the combat can be when you compare it to Uncharted. And that, that is the biggest surprise that I take away from this replay is, yo, this combat's varied. And I like it a lot, even though there's only four weapons. Very good. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so after you, after you go through some of these middle level puzzles, the thing that you come to realize is, okay, Himiko, this is the area that she was on. She was on Yamatai. Himiko's a thing. You come to find out that uh, Matthias is looking for someone to take the place of uh, Himiko's vessel. Um, you find out that Sam is uh, is the person who can be that living vessel. You also find out that uh, you don't just take the powers of the Sun Queen. Uh, the Sun Queen takes over your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she is very angry, the Sun Queen, and she's looking for that next person. And she is the cause of all the uh, environmental factors on the island and on the area. Uh, and so I think at some point they try and push you, Lara, as the as the flaming sacrifice, um, which is a ritual that you survive only if you're worthy and can be the Sun Queen's vessel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's essentially you think you're going to die if you go mm-hmm. through this. Actually, wasn't that Sam that was put on like a cross? Yeah. And, and Lara's like looking very closely at her. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Sun Queen like comes in and wins away the fire right that's what happens yeah yeah man yeah crazy Mm -hmm. um even then i was like it's a coincidence guys there's no sun queen move on (laughs) take out take out the leader let's go who opened a window (laughs) yeah (laughs) literally come on everything makes sense logical and later on you're like oh wait i'm wrong (laughs) Uh, you know i'm playing previous um lara croft tomb raider games i had you know, there's always some amount of supernatural element involved. But I assume for this reboot, they weren't going to go in that supernatural element. I thought they were going to go more, a little less Indiana Jones, where, you know, there, there's supernatural stuff that's real, but you just can't ever bring it back. You cross this threshold, you lose your invincibility. Um, but I thought they were going to go more just pure archaeology, where there's some bad guy who's trying to stop you. But they they kept with it. They kept that supernatural element to it um so i and again i totally forgot that that was a part of tomb raider until i played this game it had been that that long mm-hmm. and, and for us who most of us who've never played here a tomb raider game before like i just again likened it to uncharted i'm like uncharted el dorado it has these like mythical creatures that maybe will kill them maybe <laughs> they'll kill us who knows nathan drake so, uh, but one thing that I want to point out as you're in that area is um, that's about when you get to Shantytown, right? Shantytown is that collection of like yeah. uh, metal, like debris, but has been built up into a town. To me, that was my favorite part of the game just because like it was such a cool, different area. And yeah. that's the first time that it really opened up uh, vertically and kind of across where you could decide, you know, how am I going to go through this? Mm-hmm. That was yeah. really cool. I really liked that part of the game. Yeah. So I love that part of the game, but the one thing that made me hate it is how many times I died in, <laughs> within really? Shantytown. I felt like it was the hardest part for me. What mode did you play on? Normal. Okay, Jake? I should have played on hard, but I played on normal. Same. Mo? Wow. Easy peasy, beautiful cover girl. Soft boy squeezy. Wait, you played <laughs> yeah, on easy? No. Yeah, easy. Okay, because when I, when I started the game up, I was like, Mike, which... Which like game mode should I play? He's like, you can choose whatever you want, but I normally play on normal. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to back down from a challenge. <laughs> what a challenge. Play yeah. it on average mode. Yeah, yes. Average mode. Play it on the, the difficulty that the developer wants you to play yeah. it on. Yeah. 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 So like 
easy? Is it just less enemies? They don't aren't as accurate. I, I bet you it's less impossible to kill you from their perspective, and the the windows for the quick times have to be incredibly long. Okay, things well, like that. Well, for with playing easy mode, the the one thing I kind of regret was actually playing on easy mode. There was you know that final big like demon bad guy, the gigantic guy. The that only. fight, yeah, that that fight with him was way easier than I would have wanted because like I took him down real relatively quickly, and I was expecting him to be like a formidable opponent. I don't know about you guys, I didn't die a single time during my playthrough, um, what? except for like except oh, for getting skewered. Except for getting skewered on like those like uh, those sliding uh, like gameplay thingy where you're in the water or mm-hmm. like on a dirt road. Besides that, I didn't die from people. I always had time to recharge health, and it was very very easy, just like the name. I uh, I died from a lot of gunfights and then also a lot of drops. Laura just fell to the bottom of the earth so many times, and one was like the last the last uh, kind of sequence, last mission. Uh, you're climbing on ice on some part of it, and I'm like, like very close to the last, the final boss guy, and I fell, and I was like, wouldn't that be a shame if Laura <laughs> came all this way just to fall, like two minutes away <laughs> from just the end of the game, yeah. right there. Yeah, roll credits. <laughs> so the one thing I really liked about the game that we haven't even touched on yet was, uh, you know, we, every time you get to like a challenge or a, I guess a puzzle to progress. The coolest things was manipulating the landscape to like break, like the the landscape itself. So you know those like there's always a pendulum puzzle where you have to use your bow and arrow to attach onto like a giant pendulum, pull it back and break an aspect of a building to kind of progress. That yeah. in itself, those puzzles I found were super cool. What about you guys? Yeah, and I found like those puzzles were mostly in the tombs, and I don't know how many tombs did you guys complete. I completed I think two or three. But Same. I want like because I I get anxious on the shooting part so much. I wanted to just do the 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 tombs, but I was like, I gotta get through the the story just to see what happens. And I feel like I'm gonna go back uh, sometime this week and do all the the tombs because those were my favorite part of the game because of all the the little puzzles and stuff like that. The same thing here. Like I know when I when I played the game i kind of played it on my own pace i had quite a bit to play because i think i was the first one that started it to go through it those tombs were pretty cool and it got to the point where i'm like you know what if they had like uh if this was like in the next game coming out and they had just non-stop tomb after tomb after tomb like a puzzle type game it'd be a nice little break from a traditional storyline and just kind of going through and solving unique landscape puzzles like like uh portal where it's just puzzle after puzzle after puzzle you get exactly puzzle you know, this time playing through the game, I essentially mainlined the story. I I didn't go for many side quests because I had experienced them and I generally knew what they were. Um, but I definitely wish that I had gone and played some of those just because they were a great way to break up some of the progression of the story, to add some spacing to it, and to have a little bit more fun with those environmental puzzles. Yeah, I I would say given it's my second time through the game as well, um, I did play a few of them only because I wanted the XP because the XP you got out of a tomb was like twelve fifty, um, and let's just say like killing an enemy is like ten XP and you get twelve fifty from doing a tomb and they aren't that like difficult or time consuming. They're easy. Yeah. They are easy. Some of them like take a couple minutes, but no more than like five to seven minutes mm-hmm. to finish one. In Rise of the Tomb Raider, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this game, but. 
the tombs are a lot bigger and better, and there's more of them, right? You've you've played Rise I of the Tomb Raider. Rise, no. Uh, there, let me tell you, there's a lot more. They're bigger, more intricate, more intricate. So if you like that part of the game, Rise of the Tomb Raider, you're gonna love it. Okay, can't wait. Can't wait to play Rise of the Tomb Raider. Um, one thing that I loved about this game is the enemy AI was super smart. One of the things that I loved is how they would regroup and a lot of the time they just go forward at you like in other games but in this game they would duck around cover they would go back from cover they would come at you like more than one at a time and push on against you and i really appreciated how smart the ai was Mm -hmm. in this game it was also a nice touch to have them yell to each other updates about what you were doing and where you were um because it seems like something a group of people would actually do whether it plays into the actual ai of how these, you know, how the uh, AI operates against you, probably not. But it's a nice, you know, visual touch or, or um, displaying touch of how smart that system was. She's it, reloading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's reloading. Or the the I love it that like it was ten ten grown men like get the girl and then they all die. <laughs> like, it's ten of you against one, like multiple. She's never times. killed anyone until yeah. ten minutes ago. And now she's just picking. She people just murdered up. all of you. Yeah, yeah, but Himatai, Himako, Yamatai, Himako, it exists. Yeah, the Sun Queen is a yeah. thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one thing I didn't love though is the side characters. I don't think that there was a single one. That I like Reyes, I thought was super. I mean, that's her role to be annoying, but like, I don't think any of the side characters were uh, well developed at all. That that's like my one knock against the story. You know, I I didn't. Sorry, go ahead. So you you didn't uh, shed a tear when uh, the Scottish guy died? When Roth died? Or when? Well, when Roth died, that was funny. I was like, <laughs> no, it wasn't funny that he died. It was funny. Man this gets is what an I got. Accent back, very funny. <laughs> so he got Hilarious. an act, He got an axe in the back, and then you kill everyone or whatever. They run away. He dies. And then, like, hilarious. he's like, <gasps> it's not hilarious yet. Let me get to the hilarious part. Is when he's like, like, take my gun or whatever. I don't know if he says that. And I'm like, do we get dual pistols? <laughs> like, I had no remorse for uh, Roth dying. No I'm just like, this is great. And then we didn't get dual pistols. And I'm like, so you died for nothing. <laughs> he gave you a better pistol that you, you could shoot that's, bad guys better. That's right? true. That's like, true. And I did, I did get my dual pistols at the end. For one kill, but it would have been awesome. Um, I don't think this is kind of side off off topic, but kind of on topic because you brought it up. Dual pistols are overrated. You can't be precise. You just kind of like spraying and praying. They're not as powerful as like a submachine gun. I I it, I I initially thought, oh my god, I'm getting dual pistols, but in my head, I'm like, oh my god, I hope I don't get dual pistols. So so you don't spray and pray for everything you do. <laughs> I thought that was. That's just that's, that's standard operating should, procedure yeah. for Kev. It's just <laughs> like, <laughs> let me close my eyes and pull the trigger until I need to reload. Towards then the, I'll open, reload, and close them again. Towards the end of the game, I learned you just shoot one or two, go back in the cover, shoot one or two. Yeah, you just got to be patient. I know. I think, I, I think I'm progressing as a video game player yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Kev, at, when we first started playing video games, Kev was the uh, epitome of no chill. I called him no chill Kev. He would, he would, he would have no, no composure under pressure. But now, now when yeah. we're sitting in bushes in Fortnite, he's able to compose himself 
And I'm sure those skills carried over. Or his iron will has translated to Lara Croft, where he sits in the bush and he waits for the perfect opportunity (laughs) to shoot a guy in the face. That's exactly it. Yes. Um, Did you, anyone who played the next-gen console versions, did you have any issues with it? Um, No issues. No issues? Um, No issues. No issues? None that I can think of. Okay. I played the PS4 version and I had it crash on me a few times. Oh, yes. Yes, that did happen. Right when I was jumping, there was... Like I was in a fiery building and I was jumping onto a helicopter. I was midair and it froze on me. And I was like, I think it froze for me at that same place. And I, and I was like, I think I'm pretty sure it's frozen. I have to just re like restart the game. And it's, it froze on me when I was, I was walking up a ladder and then my left leg just kept going up and down a rung. And I was just like, okay, let's restart this. So it happened twice. I forgot about that until you mm-hmm. said it. Thankfully, the checkpointing system in this game is very generous. Yeah, very generous. So like you might freeze, but you'll be back like 10 seconds. So Which is so great in a game that often puts you in positions that you die, that when you die, you don't lose too much. It's obviously very gruesome and you don't want it to happen. I think for, for that reason, mainly mm-hmm. that was, I think one of the biggest drivers of me not wanting to die. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't want to see Lara get destroyed or have an arrow go through her head or something. Like it was not, it was not pleasant. So now I have a, a bad story about the checkpoints. There's one um, mission where you're supposed to be completely stealthy, and it's the one right before you go through the wolf cave or whatever it's called. And so there's kind of two sections of it. You kill everyone in the you kill everyone in the um, front part before the the fireplace or the campfire. And then there's like three people guarding the entrance. And so I went around super stealth for about, I'm ashamed to say it, 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was super stealth guys. Just hang with me. You were inchworming along. Is what exactly. You're yeah. You yeah. had all the chill. I was trying to get the killer headshot every time. Cause I had just upgraded to get that the 20 XP instead of 10. And so, um, I get to the final three people in front of the tunnel and I'm like, I start firing arrows at them and I think I was firing from too far because they're flaming arrows first off and they were just stuck in midair because I think I was, I was in approaching it from the right side. And so then I finally got, got to the right side and I started shooting at them and the wolves came out of nowhere and ate me, which, which was, which I didn't expect it because there were no battles with wolves except for like the first one uh-huh. and then it restarted me from the very beginning of that mission and i had to spend 25 more minutes killing everyone again i ended up dying again and then it i started from the beginning but there's no people in the front part of it ah so it was smart enough to to not know. make you through it make you go he struggled it. so I, much i think i know what exactly where you were and i i i experienced kind of what you experienced except for me i died when they they like sick the wolves on you they're like here are the these wolves <laughs> and so i think i died by the wolves the first time yeah but you got put back to the fireplace maybe i don't know 100 feet from where you were yeah and they cleared everyone out except for the men at the top of the hill with yeah. the two wolves so again largely checkpointing worked for you had one it's just one instance in the whole game it didn't work and it it annoyed me but then it worked the second time around so there must have been i must have took must have timed out it was like this guy this guy can't be serious we're not going to save again well i mean if it makes you feel any better i had an instance where it was like a pirate ship 
and like men were like uh, jumping from their wire down into the pirate ship. Yeah. And there was a spot in the pirate ship where like there was no clipping for the floor. So like guys were disappearing into part of the pirate <laughs> ship and they just started coming back. They like were popping back up. They're like, oh, we're gone. Oh, we're back up. If they like yeah. stepped in this one area. But again, largely the game for me was it just it worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of when you get to the, the final piece of the game which is the final confrontation against this big, um, the big uh, soldier, Yoni? Oni. Oni. O-N-I. The big Oni, and then uh, the Sun Queen and Matthias, right? Mm-hmm. That big guy, uh, he, he was tough. Well, He's a big dude. He's real tough. He's well, a samurai. That big guy, like the big monster guy, you see him like throughout the game, and he's the first glimpse of like the supernatural. But in my head, I don't know about you guys, because like I've, I kind of became Lara Croft, I saw him and I'm like, there's no way I can take him down. That that guy is gigantic. He's wiping people around. He's dragging a giant like pillar, which is using as like an <laughs> axe slash mallet. And I'm like, there's no way. There, there's, something has to happen for him to get killed, and I I can't be involved with it because I can't help at all. But then you actually do get to fight him. How did you guys find him? And I guess that little boss battle. He reminded me of Nemesis in Resident Evil Three, of just this big monster that was running through the area that you're in and you go from being the lion uh, killing some of the you know little sheep in the area to being someone who's cowering and just hoping that he doesn't see you that you don't have to engage with him because you know you don't stand a chance he's just a goliath yeah there are so many times where you thought you were going to fight him and then you're like oh so I don't fight the final <laughs> boss. This is a pretty sweet game. Mm-hmm. But That's they build a great that comparison tension. to Nemesis. Yeah. yeah, because you see him like how many other times in the game? At least four or five. Mm-hmm. Just like skulking with this giant mallet. I didn't realize for the longest time that his back was what you had to get. So I just kept shooting his face. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna shoot his face. It'll be fine. <laughs> Not knowing that his back is what needs to be shot. Yeah, yeah. It's uh... so, so. I don't know if if this was by accident, but when you you get him down the first time or whatever and you hit him with your climbing axe or whatever it's called and then there's people who come up and start shooting at you as well along with him i dodged one of his his hits and he just hit everyone else off the platform did that happen for you guys too or was that just lucky he can hit his men right yes yes he okay can, he can knock his men off yeah um which is which is kind of funny and super cool one thing we haven't talked about is the scramble that is like one of my favorite moves that Laura does. Her little instead of rolling, she like crawls on the ground, and then if you hit if yes. you hit circle or if you hit B on the Xbox, she'll scramble, yep. and then if you hit it again, she'll do a somersault. I loved the way that mm-hmm. that felt, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in that that boss battle, it was super useful. And she's animated so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you upgrade enough, you get little powers after each scramble. So those pe- those guys with shields, which I found were the hardest, mm-hmm. um, you would scramble. And then, like, stab him in the leg with a... Uh, with an arrow. With an arrow. The dodge kill. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. Yeah. And by the end, it, you could upgrade it three times, so, like, you could arrow him through the face. Or shotgun him in the face, or, or yeah. It was... Uh, well, the you and that shotgun. Or you can pistol him in the face. I don't know. There is, there is three different attacks you could do with it. Mm-hmm. And throw dirt in his eyes. Yeah. I, I didn't get that upgrade, but you defeat... It was pretty useless. You defeat that big guy... You go and you see that the Sun Queen is trying to embody Samantha, like transfer her consciousness into Samantha. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's the whole thing is a quick time event, right? The whole last piece is a quick time event? I think so, yeah. Yeah, which was kind of surprising. I'm like, oh, game's over. Okay. Yeah, and in a lot of situations, 
earlier in the game when they would have, you know, where you could have assumed that it would have been a quick time, but they just slow down time and have you do some element. It's a little bit surprised that, you know, this whole thing was a quick time or there were as many quick times as there were. Um, but I did feel good about how it wrapped up. It, uh, it felt satisfying. It, <laughs> I felt good that I wouldn't have to deal with that storm anymore and I'd finally be able to escape the, uh, the, the island. Yeah, it was a it was a big sense of relief when like the clouds started clearing up and you're on that uh that final ship, you're just like ah, we don't have to kill more people. <laughs> That's what it was for me. Until she goes, and now I must not go home, I must continue my adventures. Yes. And what does it say? A survivor is born? Uh that's what it says? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh and the boat that you get on at the end, uh the first one's endurance, the boat on the end is resilience. Oh, no, I made that up, but it, oh. it, I mean, like <laughs> in, in this video game world, like, come on, you know, yeah. that's what it was. To be honest, be. I didn't even you believe click it. that the endurance was like, though I knew it was a ship that they came in on, but I didn't think like anything of it. I was just like, oh, the SS endurance. Like, <laughs> I was like, what an odd name for a ship. Yeah. Finger on the nose. Mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, if so, if if you're curious, before we wrap this thing up, if you're curious, um, on the disc, but also on YouTube, um, Square Enix with Jeff Keighley produced the final hours of Tomb Raider. It's a six-part docu series um, hosted by Zachary Levi, uh, going through the creation of Tomb Raider, talking to the writers, the musicians, whatever. It's great. If you're curious about the game, you might want to give that like a, a quick look. Like runtime totals like 50 minutes, and it gives you a good idea of some of the stuff behind the game, including the music. Yes, I was going to say. Very speaking of music. musicians, it was that's what made you feel like you were in a video game. You mm-hmm. like felt like there was danger around the corner. You felt like, oh, everything's safe now. I can scavenge these bodies that I just killed, and it was. I like I noticed that the most uh, when I was when I was like. Just before I was in battle, I was like, okay, there's something around this corner. Mm-hmm. And, and what's cool is like there's one theme, but it's arranged about five or six different ways, different speeds, different instruments. Mm-hmm. So like you said, if you're foraging, like it's the Lara's theme, but it's on a different instrument compared to when she's in a battle. Plus, uh, if you look at that documentary series, my last thing I promise, Jason Graves, who's the composer on the game, he worked with a sculptor to basically make something called the instrument. It's this huge metal, like, custom instrument where he, like, uses, um, like, uh, drumsticks uh, and not drumsticks. What are the ones with the, like, rubber on the end of them? Basically different kinds of drumsticks. And, like, he hits on this instrument in different ways, and that's what makes up a lot of the, like, metal-sounding, like, chimes. And, like, it is super cool. So that's the final hours of Tomb Raider Part 3. I want to check that out. Part 3, six minutes mind-blowing cool i'm definitely gonna check that out that's yeah. in the extras of the game that is if you have the definitive edition it is in the extras in the game yeah okay. uh final thoughts about this game uh we'll start with michael i think it's a great game it was a fantastic revitalization of a series i think also a great repackaging of a heroine who had had a bit of a troubled past in terms of you know being hyper and overly sexualized um, and being more objectified than being a strong female character. Um, and in the video game world, there aren't that many strong female characters. So I, I think this was a great repackaging and reinvention of Lara Croft um, and highlighting 
you know, more of the elements that I think are core to who she is as a character. Um, and I, I, it was a great experience. I'm so glad I played it. It reminded me that I really want to play Rise of the Tomb Raider. Um, so I know very soon I'm going to hop into that and uh, and see where that takes me. So yeah, I, I love playing this game. Kev? So at the beginning, um, I played it. The first day I played it, I was uh, I was sick and I didn't have a great time. And then the next day I was just like, okay, I got to give it another try. It's about mindset. And it's so about mindset when you play video games because it was an awesome game. Like, I okay, the killing, I get it. It's good. It's great. The aiming and all that is, is, is great. I mean, I get overwhelmed because I'm not really good at shooting. But and then the puzzles on top of that, the, the music, the just the atmosphere and the environment was all spot on. And I was like, when someone said this was two, 2013, I was like, you can't be serious. This is 2013. Five years this was, ago. Yeah, that is, is a, it's a great game. I'm definitely going to try to 100% it. Wow. Mo? Um, c- kind of echoing what Mike and uh, Kevin were saying, it's spot on all around. Um, I played it kind of just to give it a shot because I heard it was good, and it definitely holds up. The gameplay, the visuals, the story is like – I know it's unbelievable, but it is like sort of believable as well. Like You kind of feel like you are Lara throughout the entire time. Um, it, it's it was it's worth the purchase price wherever it's being sold for. I, I think the length was also spot on. If anything, it was longer than I was expecting, which is always awesome. You never really see that in a game. It always like cuts off really soon. When the game is over, you're satisfied. Like it's everything is wrapped up. The story's like finished, and it makes me just even more excited to finally like have played a Lara Croft game and now I'm definitely going to be playing the next one after playing this one. It, it, it was one of the most satisfying games I've played in a while and the last thing I'll bring up I played just like you Jacob Horizon recently the bow and arrow female protagonist game so visuals aside open world aside from Horizon I see this was a I felt like to me it was a better game than Horizon if you dismiss the amazing graphics this the and like the expansiveness and the the weapon expansion all that stuff i i was ha- i was happier and more satisfied playing lara croft tomb raider 2013 than horizon the most recent ps4 exclusive uh to wrap up i don't know if i'd go that far horizon zero dawn is like one of the best games i would say ever made uh we can fight we can fight that battle another day um, we'll play it on the pod. We'll play it on the pod. Um, but like Tomb Raider is such an authored experience. Um, the story, it's fun to play. Um, the ver- the levels, the music, it's just like, I didn't remember how good this game was. <laughs> when I started playing it, I was like, oh yeah, Tomb Raider, it's an 8.5. It's like a really good game. And like, I'm a guy who will go and play any game where there's a bow and arrow. Like Crisis 3, like put me on that. I will play it. <laughs> I did play it. Um, this game is a, is a fantastic game one of the best of the last generation uh rise of the tomb raider i'm 
so excited to play it again. Hopefully, we can play it on this podcast. Knock on wood. Um, play this video game. I got it for 15 bucks. I'm sure you can get it for... Yeah, I went on Kijiji. Got it. Sealed copy, 15 bucks. Uh, I'm sure you can do it. something. It's on $15 sale. $15 is worth it. It's a good experience for 15 bucks. I'm sorry, Kev. I know you spent... Uh, $36. $36. What? But uh, a few days after Kev purchased it, and I was not going to bring this up because I didn't want to rub salt in the wound, for Xbox Live Gold members, it went on sale for $7. <laughs> what? It went. <laughs> Are you serious? It's still on sale. Seven? Seven? <laughs> Are you serious? You cannot be serious right now. Serious. Seven dollars. Are you serious? This is... We were... Okay. Can I give you some backstory on this? We were trying to figure out how to, to share games if you had it on. It's totally possible, I, but like... You get to share passwords and stuff. Yeah. I, I didn't want to do that. And I was like, I just want to start playing this. I'm going to be late to finish the game. I'll just buy it. $34.99 Canadian. So, like, I don't know, like $15 US. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're telling me two days later after I bought it. It went on sale for $7. I was not going to bring this up because I didn't want to rub salt in the wound. But, Kev, was it worth 30-something dollars? It was, it, okay. It was definitely worth the money I spent on it because I'll, I'll, I'll be playing this for a while. Uh, and because I'm going to try to, I, like, I'm sure the 100% has to do with, like, finding all the little booklets and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I'm a fan of. But, I mean, they read them to you. Uh, <laughs> Got to point that out. Um, but, like, the tombs and all that and the puzzle and stuff like that. It was worth it. It was worth it. It was definitely worth seven dollars <laughs> too. So I would definitely saying. buy it for seven dollars <laughs> rather than thirty-five. So if it was on sale right now or at any time, you would say buy it. I would say buy it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I, would I would buy this game for full price. What is full price nowadays? Uh, oh, that's a great question. Thirty-four ninety-nine. That's what the full <laughs> price is. I know that I paid for this game like full price for it back in twenty thirteen. And I'm happy. I'm going to hold your hand, Kev. Thank you. I'm happy to pay full price with you. Okay. I bought this game twice, if it makes you feel any better. Okay, but you bought it in 2013, I'm assuming. When I saw the price on it... <laughs> sorry, let me go back to this. When I saw the price on it, it is 2018. That is five years after this game. And I saw the price on it, and I was like, that's, that's a little steep. But you know what? I'll do it for the pod. And I, I bought it. And I was like, you know what? I'll deal with it a month later when my credit card bill comes in. Isn't Rise of the Tomb Raider about like cheaper than thirty five bucks now? So too? I have I have it free. I have it free. Oh, that stinks so, for you. What Rise of the Tomb Raider? No, that you that you had to pay thirty five bucks for the game. I enjoyed the game. Though. Maybe you send us an expensive you know port. What? We'll take care of it. No, 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 no. We no. aren't gonna take care of it. <laughs> you sure? No, we're not. It okay. was it was worth it. That's my final point. It was worth it. I don't know if I'd pay more because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I paid full price. I definitely pay because you less, can't less. pay more than that. Right exactly. Now, it was gr- it was great. It was I'm, a great I'm game. Glad. It was worth it. Speaking of things that are great, Michael, uh, you want to tell anyone listening about our discord channel? So if you enjoy these discussions, listening to the pod and you want to meet like-minded folks who also enjoy these discussions, you can go to our website, leftbehindgame.club or leftbehindgameclub.com, and you'll find a link right dead, set, dead center 
uh, a link to our Discord, Discord you can join talk to everyone we are constantly posting game deals like when rise of the tomb or when tomb raider 2013 went on sale for 750 uh and many other deals like the humble bundle deals and any any great game deal online um come hang with us chat we're, we're always excited to uh to welcome new people to the fold did you, did you post the tomb, tomb raider yeah we yeah did. we did okay i just don't pay attention i we, guess we i'm did. sorry i'm sorry that's okay. I'm sorry. If you want to okay. talk to Kevin, rub salt in his wound. You can find him on the Discord channel for the yeah. Left Behind Game Club. And you can find that at leftbehindgame.club. Exactly. Uh, Michael, where can the people find you on the internet? You can find me at RufaloM on most places or MichaelRufalo.com. Mo, where can the people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Mertati across the board. Kev, are you on the internet? I am not. Unfortunately, Great. you can find me at a tribe called Kev on Xbox One, or you can say how much you paid for your game on the Discord and rub it in just thirty four ninety nine anytime I talk on the Discord. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the new hashtag for Kev thirty four ninety nine. Guaranteed response anytime he says anything thirty four ninety nine. <laughs> and you can find me on the internet at Jacob McCord. If you want to see me stream games, you can do so at jacobstreams.com. And that, my friends, is one less game left behind. 